Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. In this week's portion, there's a number of things that take place. And we're going to kind of come back to that aspect of the two things working together. But in this portion, we have the birth of Jacob and Esau. We have Esau selling his birthright to Jacob. Rebekah is taken by Abimelech, just as Abraham's wife Sarah was taken. And then we have the, the story of the stolen blessing, perhaps. Uh, the one that came with deception. And then we have Jacob being sent out to go to Laban's house to find a bride. So let's begin to read this, this portion here. And we'll go further than just the first verse. So tw- Genesis twenty five nineteen. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah his wife conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is, it hap- why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Now I'm going to pause there because she conceived with twins. And the scripture says that these twins represent two nations, and these two nations shall be divided. And some translations say, in the older, well, the older shall serve the younger. Many translations say that though the, the Hebrew can, can be translated multiple ways. But what the sages note on this is that each child, both Jacob and Esau, represented two types of potential perfection. For Jacob, it was the aspect of his spiritual pursuit and Torah study and seeking to know the things of the Lord and to walk in them. For Esau, his potential was to bring dominion within the earth, to transform the physical challenges that we face. And the sages even say, because of that, Esau was the one who was born first, and he was therefore the one that was referred to as the greater in this passage. Greater soul, greater capacity, and greater potential to bring or to refine the world. Now, with our story of what we know about Esau, it's hard for us to grasp that and put that together because we know that Jacob's the one who walked in righteousness and Esau is the one who spurned his birthright and sought the worldly pursuits. So on one hand, we might be inclined to say, well, God created Esau for evil and he created Jacob for good. 
After all, there's scripture where God says that Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. However, I think we would be wrong to take that as our conclusion. Because man is born with the potential and opportunity for good. But man wrestles with both a good inclination and an evil inclination. The good inclination is the Yetzer Hatov, and the evil inclination is the Yetzer Hara. And these two impulses cannot be ascendant at the same time. They cannot both be operating in their fullness. One has to arise while the other diminishes. And the one that we feed is the one that rises. Do we listen to the evil inclination or do we hearken to the good inclination and pursue the things of God? And so Esau had potential to overcome. He had a powerful spirit. But he turned those, that power and that strength towards the things of the flesh as opposed to the things of the Lord. And just as these two impulses, the good inclination and the evil inclination, can't both be rising at the same time, there can at times be a passing back and forth from one to another. We all can certainly understand this in the ups and downs of life, but certainly in looking at the path of our lives, coming from a place of being lost to a place of life in Yeshua. Right? We can know how the evil inclination dominated, but yet by the power of God's Spirit, we can be transformed and to walk in the good inclination and to seek godliness and righteousness. And the sages speak on how, with Genesis 25-23, when it says, the might shall pass from one regime to the other, that verse, I said it could be also... Uh, interpreted differently in the scripture. In the Hebrew, it doesn't actually say the older and the younger, though that can be translated that way. It's the rav, the many, and the tzayir, which is the lesser. So the, the might shall pass from the great, I mean, sorry, the, the might shall pass from one regime to the other, and the great shall serve the lesser. Okay, interesting. Or the many shall serve the few. And so there's, there's an aspect of things being turned upside down and the ability for reversals to happen. Now, as we continue on reading here in the Scripture, let me find where I was. Okay, verse 24. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And this is one of the aspects here in verse 27. When the boys grew up, it says Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. The aspect of dwelling in tents, uh, the sages refer to that as Jacob's time spending, or the time that he spent in the tent of Shem and Eber, learning the ways of God. He was seeking to understand what God's 
ways were so that he could walk in them. Whereas Esau was pursuing the things of the world. And then here, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. Now, on the plain and simple matter, we can look at this and say, wow, Isaac was satiated with the food that Esau brought back from all his hunting. But the sages note also an alternate translation, which is that game was in his mouth because Esau was feigning righteousness. So in other words, Esau knew how to talk the talk. He knew how to present himself in the presence of his father in such a way that his father would say, he gets it. Not only is he a man of the field, but he also is one who knows the ways of God. But that it was just a game because it wasn't something that was truly from the heart of Esau, something that he operated in. He had knowledge that didn't have the true action that followed the knowledge. And so he played the game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now that last, that last sentence stands out because the scriptures could have ended right there with he drank and rose and went his way without saying thus he spurned the birthright. In fact, most of the stories within the Torah do not have a commentary that expressly says, gives a verdict on an action that just preceded it. Normally, the Torah leaves it open for the reader to understand and determine was that good or was that bad? But in this case, God went out of his way to have Moses write, thus Esau despised his birthright. Reflecting the true heart condition of what Esau was walking in. And why is it such a big deal to spurn the birthright? I mean, if you think about a birthright, in one way, in one way it can be an inheritance. You get a double portion. Okay, so he would have gotten two-thirds of the uh, the inheritance, and Jacob would have gotten one-third. So did he just sell that one extra portion? Or was he selling something greater than just that extra portion of his inheritance? And it was something greater. Because the firstborn is the one who performs the sacrificial service and carries a priestly role within the family. In fact, the firstborn originally was intended to serve as the priest in the tabernacle. Right? So it wasn't just about getting a double portion of the inheritance. It was actually a priestly role, a high role in calling. Now, of course, we know that the firstborn, um, after the exodus from Egypt, were redeemed, and the Levites took their place as the priests. But in this case, and at this time, the firstborn was the one who would, would serve in the priestly role. And so some of the commentaries say, well, Esau did not value that priestly role. 
Either that or he felt he couldn't live up to it, one of the two. And he spurned the birthright, selling it for a bowl of beans, right? And now by heritage, by birth, he would rightly have received that. But it's not, just an, it's not enough just to have it by birth. It's something that we then have to choose and walk in. Okay, So a chosen people have to deserve its chosenness and walk in it for their heritage to really be fulfilled. Now, in verse 27 of Genesis 25, it says, When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. The scripture says that he would, the, the word that is used is tom, okay, it's tav mem. And the word tom means wholesome, perfect, or complete, which is, and, and, you know, it can also mean integrity, honest, or simple-hearted. Yet his name corresponds with one that is crooked and deceit, right? He came out grasping the heel. And we know that here in the first part of his life, he runs into a situation in this portion where he comes before his father and receives Esau's blessing. And we've talked about that one in, in the past, about whether it was intentional or, well, or whether he fell into it. Either way, he was not work, walking in perfection. Now, why do I talk about the word Tom, okay? Because it had been used at least twice before in the scriptures. And maybe only twice. But I don't know. Okay, so I'll have to go back and verify that. But in Genesis 6-9, when the scriptures are speaking of Noah, okay, and it speaks of him being perfect in his generations, the scripture says that he was Tamim. Okay, Tamim is Tavmem Yodmem. All right, and, but the yod and mem at the end of the word is a way of making it plural. Okay, so tam would be a singular aspect. Tamim would be a plural aspect. It's multifaceted compared to the singular. So Noah was described as tamim. And then in Genesis 17:1, God told Abraham to walk before him and be perfect, to be tamim. So why did the scriptures just refer to Jacob as Tom as opposed to Tamim? And I think it's a matter of timing. So Jacob dwelled in tents, but he also had some issues early on in life with orchestrating things that perhaps weren't necessarily done under great circumstances, such as the buying of the birthright. Actually, the sages consider that to have been a greater uh, issue than the deceit going before his father, which there's various reasons for that that maybe you can listen to last year's message and, and get, get more of that because we won't go into it today. But, um, but so he had, he dwelled in tents. He was pursuing these spiritual matters, but there were other things. There were some flaws in his character that he still had to work through, right? And he had a choice laid before him of what he was going to do 
with that because within him was the potential to overcome. Just as there was potential within Esau to overcome the evil inclination, so too with Jacob. And Jacob too would be putting, going down a path in his life of growing in righteousness and becoming the man of God that God intended him to be. The pursuit of walking before God and being perfect, Tamim, both spiritually and physically. So he grew in spirit and he, blew, and he grew in his physical ability to impact the world. And within that, this, both for Isaac and for Jacob, his call was to walk in the ways of his father Abraham. And actually, you know how I spoke of how not everyone who is, it's not enough just to be born chosen. You have to choose it and to walk in it. So too with the children of Abraham to walk in faithfulness of the covenant. So too for those who are born into Christian families to take hold of the faith and to walk in the righteousness, to have it be their own, to walk in the transformation they're given. And we're called to keep fruit or to bear fruit. In Matthew 3, 8 and 9, The scripture says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Because we know that the children of Abraham by the promise are not just those who are of physical descent, but who are those of the faith, right? And it's through faith that we enter into the kingdom of God. And so too, if it's not enough just to say we have Abraham as our father, you must actually walk in, in repentance, bearing fruit and walking in righteousness. So too, we can't just say, I know the name of Jesus, therefore I can walk in whatever manner pleases my heart. For instead, we have to bear fruit in keeping with repentance and the renewed life that we have through Yeshua. In, in John chapter 8, verse 37... Yeshua carries this, the talk further. He says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because, of my, because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answer, answered him, well, Abraham is our father. And Yeshua said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you who has told you the truth that I heard from God, this is not what Abraham did, right? Because Abraham was the one who walked in kindness. And so too, if we were to read as well in Romans 9, we would see the same thing in speaking of the calling to walk in faithfulness to God through faith in His Son. I'm going to read here. He's speaking of how man had failed. He said, It's not as though the Word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are His offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. 
This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as, as offspring. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not, and not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done, neither, had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So within this, there's God's, it's God's choice that those who would be part of his kingdom would be those who are of the promise, who follow him in faithfulness. And walk, and therefore walk in righteousness. Not a matter of just being in the right place at the right time, but of actually taking hold of the revelation of God. Now we know that Yeshua walked in the ways of his Father. He said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And he says that he only does what he sees the Father doing. And he, so he modeled to us the way of righteousness. And there's two paths that we can walk in. There's a narrow gate and there's a wide gate. The wide gate represents the path we go down when we seek the evil inclination. The narrow gate is the one whereby we let the good inclination operate. So let's look at Matthew seven thirteen. Yeshua says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits." And not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So within this, there's the two aspects of a good tree producing good fruit, bad tree producing bad fruit. You cannot have the good tree producing bad fruit because you cannot have the evil inclination, the good inclination, both ascending at the same time. And God says that we will know people by their fruit. We'll be known by our fruit. The fruit that comes forth is dependent on the stock of the tree that it comes from. Right? And that's why you have good trees bearing good fruit. And the transformation that God's looking for 
just as he's looking for it with Jacob, just as he's looking for it in people who know the truth, he's looking for both a spiritual and a physical transformation, a complete transformation that takes time and process for us to learn to walk in. And as I was thinking on the aspect of the complete transformation that he calls us to walk in, it's the transformation, there, there's two aspects, right? There's the physical and the spiritual, just like there was with Jacob and Esau. And the transformation of the heart is greater than the transformation of the flesh. And I think that really needs to sink into us. These are both important transformations, but the latter should follow the former. Right? When we are, transform when we are transformed internally and our stock is made good, then the fruit that comes forth from us can be good. If we go and seek to bear good fruit without an inward transformation, our fruit will be tainted. I mean, sure, we can do good deeds. And yes, there's degrees of transformation internally, right? But it's the inward transformation from which the overflow of the heart comes forth that we need to be seeking primarily and letting the good flow from that. You know, the, uh, Yeshua speaks about the weightier matters of the Torah. In Matthew 23, 23 through 24, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the Torah, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. You know, often, actually, yeah, often when I've quoted this passage, I haven't included verse 24. But I think it's important from the aspect of where have we set our heart and what is our focus? Do we get so focused on the details that we fail to see the weightier matters of the Torah and the weightier matters of the heart. For if we neglect the weightier matters, then even our focus on the details of tithing the dill, mint, and cumin lose their edge. They lose their beauty in the eyes of God. But Yeshua says you ought to do these, matter, these small matters without neglecting the others. And he gives us the means by which we can do that because he gives us the transformation of our spirit. In Ezekiel 36, 24 through 28, the scripture says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. 
You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. The flesh fails. The flesh fails in its own strength to carry out the things of God. And so God gives us a new heart and a new spirit such that we can walk in his ways. So many times, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I want to, of course, highlight that both the physical and the spiritual matter. Anytime you, throughout the course of history, let's say that, throughout the course of hi history, you have times in which things sway from one side to the other. I often like to think of, think of things as a pendulum. And actually, we're reading a book from the men's retreat that talks a, a little bit about how a generation or two ago, within, within the body, there was, a, there, there was a harshness in ways that things were communicated. And, and so the pendulum was swung toward the side of fire and brimstone. But then in recent years, that pendulum has swung to try to correct. Anytime you try to correct, there's a potential for overcorrection. And the body has swung to the opposite side of complete leniency and not seeking to eradicate sin, but instead just to gloss over it and say, that's all right, there's grace. There can be, uh, and within the messianic movement, there can be an aspect of many who believe in Yeshua and have known grace and come to understand it, but now have come to understand the depths of the Torah and the call of righteousness that we have to walk in Him. And we can swing from the side of grace over to the side of straining out a gnat but swallowing a camel. And we don't want to be on either extreme, right? We want to find the balance of knowing the grace and redemption and life in the Spirit and knowing the truth of God's Torah applied in our hearts. But if we neglect the weightier matters of the Torah, justice, mercy, and kindness, then we are not starting from that stock that will bring forth the good fruit. Instead, we're just bring forth fruit that we can within our flesh. So we have to be mindful of what is the inner condition of our heart. Are we walking in the fruit of the Spirit first and foremost, and then walking in the ways of Torah as a result of that transformation? Yeshua makes it very clear when He, you know, we read here in Matthew 23 about not neglecting the weightier matters of the Torah. And then he continues on to his next rebuke. And he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but instead they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Do you note that? He didn't say the outside's already clean. 
even though you clean the outside of the cup. He said, clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside may also be clean. The inward, trans the inward transformation affected the outside. It wasn't just that we could talk the game. It wasn't just that we could do the good things and let our spirit run wild. What I mean by let our spirit run wild is neglecting justice, mercy, neglecting the fruit of the spirit, peace, patience, kindness. We'll read those later. Who we are is more than just what we do, but what we do reflects who we are. And he continues on, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now we all sit here and we say, I'm glad I'm not like those Pharisees. Right? And not all Pharisees were bad, by the way. Pharisees get a bad rap. Paul says that he was a Pharisee. Yet Paul was pretty good, right? There's always bad apples within every group. But this, and I think it's the same passage in Matthew 7. If it's not, it's somewhere else. But, it's, but Yeshua, Yeshua says, you know, you Pharisees, you say, oh, well, our fathers, they killed the prophets. If we had been there, we wouldn't have done it because we're righteous enough not to do that. And Yeshua clears it up pretty, pretty well, saying that they would do just the same. And the reality is that we all have the ability, the potential to fall in to that kind of behavior where we walk through rote activity rather than walking in the newness of the Spirit. And I'm not going to say that the road activity is the evil inclination because they wouldn't be evil actions to try to do the Torah or to walk to do good, good deeds um, in your own power. But there's a difference between following the good inclination by the Spirit versus just gutting it out by your own physical. So God calls us to... Clean the inside of our cup. Allow him to clean the inside of our cup so that the fruit that comes out and the overflow of our heart will be goodness and by the Spirit. In this week's, uh, in this week's Haftarah, we read in, in the book of Malachi where we have a situation where the priests are still performing their priestly duty but they're performing it without a pure and sincere heart. And God rebukes them. So here in Malachi 1, verses 1 through 3, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. And I'm not sure why I stopped at that verse, but I had to have had a purpose. So, But 
I do pick back up in verse 6. So let's just go to verse 6 because it's here. Um, he, he goes on. So he, within, okay, I, I think I know to some element. The aspect of hating Esau is an aspect of loving Esau less. It's, it's by measure, if you will. Just like uh, Yeshua speaks of he who doesn't hate his father and his, and his mother can't love me or can't follow me. He doesn't really want anyone to hate. He's saying that he must be loved greater. But the aspect is that Esau did not walk according to the ways of God, and therefore his people came under judgment. And he continues on here in verse 6, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you. O priests who despise my name, but you say, How have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, How have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God, that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you? Says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. So the priests are not offering to the Lord according to giving honor to his name. Right? They've compromised. They've corrupted the service. They're still doing the service. But now it's been corrupted, and God is rejecting that service. Not because the service is not, the service as God prescribed is not good, but because of the condition of the people's heart and the way that they are approaching him and not making his name great. He goes to the point of saying, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you may not kindle fire on my altar in vain. He says, I want the fire on my altar. I want the offerings brought or I would not have commanded it. But when you bring it in this way, I do not desire it. You need to bring it with a pureness of heart and seeking to make my name great. But even though they stray and have erred in this way, that's not the end of it. It's not, God doesn't say, that's it. Shut it all down. Forget about it. His solution is to see the people changed and transformed and to walk in his way. As we continue reading in Malachi 2, starting in verse 1, the scripture says, And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. 
My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. Now, in verse 4, take note of this. He says, So shall you know that I have sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi, Levi may stand. Right? He's giving this word to the priests so that his covenant will stand. The way that his covenant stands is the people hear the rebuke and turn from their wicked ways and walk in righteousness. And he continues on, It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction, and you have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. So he's reminding them of their calling, of their calling to be those who instruct and model righteousness so that many can walk in it. This is part of why Esau would not have been fit because he was not pursuing the things of God. Therefore, he could not model them in truth. He could, give, he could say the word, but not impart life through his words. But yet Jacob, because of the man that he was, he was one who could pursue righteousness, both spiritually and physically, such that he could be a father of the, the 12 tribes which were to come. Now again, this was not all said and done. God gives the rebuke, but there's still hope. Malachi 3.1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulter adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? How shall we return? Turning to God with a pure heart. Allowing that transformation to take place within us. Allowing the weightier matters of the Torah to take root within us. And allowing Him to purify us. Because He sits as the purifier. And it's for us to allow the purification and to choose the good inclination. 
as we spoke of the new heart and the new spirit, Paul in Galatians 5 encourage us to encourage us to walk by the spirit. You know that walking by the spirit is carrying out the Torah according to the power of the spirit and the renewed mind. Walking by the spirit isn't just going by whatever you feel. It's both. It's the spirit of the Lord speaking to you in the moment and the spirit of the Lord having spoken to you in his word. And then walking through the transformation that he has brought to us. Okay, so he says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desire of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. They can't both be ascendant in our life. The one that we feed is the one that will prosper. Okay, so he says, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, fornication, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Messiah Yeshua have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Right? If we have life by the Spirit, that's what this is saying. If we live by the Spirit, if we have been given life by the Spirit, then let us also keep in step with the Spirit, having these fruits come forth and putting to death the things of the flesh that actually cause decay within our lives and within our community. For if we walk in these things of the flesh, but carry out the things, the lesser things of the Torah that are still good, then will God accept them? No, I think it's just like the thing with the priests, where he says, oh, I wish that there were one who would close the door. You know, one thing that can sometimes come up is a haughty spirit. Pride certainly goes before the fall. But humility, and I think this is Proverbs 18, 16. Nope, it is not. <laughs> okay. Somewhere in Proverbs, it talks about that. But, any, uh, but the truth of the matter is, we need to, one of the weightier matters of the Torah is the humility that we're called to walk in. And we walk in humility both before God and with one another. 
knowing what is good and righteous, walking it, modeling it, encouraging others in the same, as opposed to trying to bring down the hammer and say, I do this better than you. Just like the Pharisees said, we wouldn't have killed the prophets. But Yeshua says, no, I know your heart. By the way, I wasn't pointing at anybody. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, goodness. That was a mistake. <laughs> yeah, Paul, thank you. <laughs> but, uh, but no, let's put to death the things of the flesh and allow God's transformation of our spirit to go forward that the inside may be clean so that the outside may be clean as well so that we then bear fruit in keeping with repentance that our good tree that we've been made into bears good fruit it's not saying that we won't stumble and fall or have times when we need to repent because those times come but those are not the defining moments the defining moments are the times when we say no i'm turning from that and i'm going to walk in righteousness and I'm going to return to God so that he can return to me and restore me and continue to walk with me on the path of being perfect just as he called us to be. Be holy for I am holy. That's what the Lord says. And Yeshua says, follow me. Walk in my ways just as I have done the will of the Father. So you too walk in the ways of your Father. Because the choice is ours feed the good inclination, to overcome the evil inclination, and to see what God will do with the fruit that we bear. Amen. Does anybody have anything that you'd like to share? I just had a question while we're talking about um, uh, 24. Um, one of these peoples will be stronger and the, than the other, and the elder will serve the younger. Mm -hmm. And you said something about lesser and many, uh -huh. and I wasn't for sure what you were, I didn't understand that. Okay, so, so what the scripture says is that uh, the rav, the many, will serve the tsair, which is the few, okay, or the lesser. And so basically what I was saying is that there can be, there can be more than one meaning within this, within this word given to Rebecca. Even to the point where there would not have been enough for her to go on with this word in order for her to go forward with a full-out deception of Isaac to try to get Jacob to go in and deceive and steal the blessing. Um, and I, I go into that more... I went into that more last year. If, if we, if you look back to, to last year's portion on Toldot, um, there's actually a very strong case that Jacob was going in to receive a blessing, but not trying to take away Esau's blessing in that moment. That it was neither Jacob's intent nor Rebekah's intent, but that through error, uh, it happened that way. And so, because um, there's sometimes the discussion comes up of, well, Rebecca had this, she knew 
that the blessing was supposed to go to Jacob because of this word that came to her before the birth. And therefore, she was taking everything within her power to do it and make it happen. But that actually implies a lack of trust in God being able to bring about the promise. And then it also would require us to believe that she was so confident and this word was so clear that it would make her do that. But the, the the end does not justify the means. And so to take a blessing through deceptive means in order to make God's will happen it does it doesn't it doesn't fit and so anyway that's a brief intro into what could be a much bigger discussion um, but good question anyone else I was going to comment you had used the word Tom it was interesting about the character of someone integrity perfection or whatever and then Tamim for Noah and for Abraham and I was thinking about the part that Abram's name was originally Abram <clears throat> then became Abraham when he got to that point. And even in Noah, the call to build the ark, to that process to receive that of what God was calling him to do. And I made a note here. I said, you know, as we think about our own life, God gives us all a chance to overcome and we have a choice. A calling is not complete unless you receive it, not simply accept it. Receiving takes ownership and accepting is taken for granted. It could be to the point that you don't even receive it but simply and falsely believe you've been rescued and you're still in bondage. When you believe you're at a place of salvation or with God, but you're really not, um, you know, for us to receive what God's given us to let him complete what is coming because he's definitely not finished with us. That's Mm -hmm. for sure. We're not, you know, we talked about this weekend as well, the journey, that perseverance, that finishing well, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and for us to, know that God still has more amongst the hills and valleys and and what he's truly got for us is revealed in our name. And I think it's also important for us to take it on the other side of that. Those that grew up and were told you were unworthy and invaluable and whatever, we also have a decision to not receive that either, Mm -hmm. to not stay in that. And so that, in other words, God is in control, but we always, always have to be part of that. Otherwise, it's not a relationship. It's just one-sided, and, and therefore there's not a love on both sides and that beauty that comes from that. So. Amen. Anyone else? I just had a question, and I've thought about it every time I've read it. Scripture indicates that Rebecca went to inquire of the Lord. It was prior to the building of the temple, but she went, and that means a specific place. In the Torah, does it indicate where she went or Right, uh, so the Torah does not indicate where she went, but the sages uh, say that she went to the house of Shem and Eber to inquire of the Lord, and that the word, the Lord spoke to Shem, and he gave her this word. Thank you, that clears it up. So, anyone else? Okay, so when you were talking about uh, basically that it's from the inside out that that we are clean, Um, that word uh, cleaning the inside of the cup is the Greek word is uh, entos, okay? And it's the same word that's used, I think in only one other spot, in that form uh, where, where when Yeshua says the kingdom of God is within you. And he says, you know, don't be looking out here saying, you know, here it is, there it is. He says it's within you. And, 
And so, again, pointing to the Holy Spirit being the transformative agent in people's, in our lives. So, Amen. Amen. Thank you. And what was that word? <laughs> E-N-T-O-S. E okay. Thank you. And this just got to me when people are asking questions and, and talking about Sarah Rivka, they both got a word from the Lord and they are an example for us. They acted with a desire to make the word of God come true. Um, but like you said, you know, it, it is a lack of trust when we cannot wait. Like that's literally all they had to do. But we know how hard it is to wait, right? And so they are living the example for us so that we can learn from them. We receive a word from God and many times we will force it through because we want it so bad. Mm -hmm. But if we just let God work. Yeah, yeah, letting him lead, amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we bless you and thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you that you call us to return to you and you return to us. Lord, that's your promise. Lord, I thank you for the gift of your spirit. Lord, the transforming power of your spirit and our life. Lord, help us to allow you to work within us. Lord, that you would that we would be open to the transforming power of your spirit, that we wouldn't hold on to the things of the flesh or hold on to past hurts, Lord, but that we would be uh, washed, made new, Lord, and that as we pursue you and pursue the things of the spirit, Lord, that we would overflow with fruit that is in keeping with the new life that you've given us, Lord, that we would bear good fruit. I pray, Lord, that you would help us in all of our journeys. Lord, that we would be holy as you are holy. Lord, that you'd bring us to a place of perfection, Lord, spiritually and physically. Lord, that we might impact your kingdom, that we might impact this world for good. And thank you, Lord, that you see our potential and you call it forth. We bless you and we praise you. In the name of Yeshua, amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.